Welcome to Conversations in the Word. My name is Nick Funderburk. I am the discipleship pastor here at First Baptist, and today I'm joined again by Pastor Taylor. Thank you, Nick, for having me on. Excited to talk today about uh, this important topic of discipleship. Yeah, so today we're going to address a, a little more broad idea of discipleship. I want to talk about what is a culture of discipleship. What is a culture of discipleship, and what does it look like in the local church? So uh, normally I start with a question for you. I'm actually going to uh, take a minute just to kind of define our terms, and then we'll we'll sort of launch into what this should look like in a local church, maybe how we can uh, build that culture within our own church. So um, to answer the question of like what is a culture of discipleship, first we need to define what is discipleship. I think I've talked about this on here before, um, but in his little book called Discipling, Pastor Mark Dever uh, gives a very simple def- definition of what discipling is, which is simply helping others to follow Jesus. So he also clarifies the difference between discipleship and discipling. Discipleship is our own following Jesus. Discipling is our own helping someone else to follow Jesus. So he says the Christian life is a discipled life, and a discipling life. So we are both called to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus as well. So what is a culture of discipleship? If as believers we're called to follow Christ and to help others follow Christ along the way, then a culture of discipleship in the church is the uh, the corporate effort to, to lock arms with those who are around you as you endeavor towards the cross. So I, I want to I want to reiterate that those are my words; those aren't Mark Devers. Um, but just the the idea of what a culture of discipleship, I guess, what it looks like a culture of discipleship, is the the corporate or the congregational the the members of the church their effort to lock arms with those around them as you endeavor together towards the cross. And I love that picture because uh, it, it accounts for the the strugglers and it accounts for the enthusiastic. You can't just you can't just let go and run ahead of everybody else on your own. You're responsible for your brothers and your your sisters around you who who are struggling maybe, and you can't just sit down and and give up and let everyone go on without you. We're, we're bound together as we lock arms together. So we're going to we're going to pick you up and we're going to carry you if we have to, but we're going to move together as a congregation steadily, faithfully towards Jesus Christ. So that's my that's what what do you think? I love it. I think <laughs> I'm just fishing for compliments. I think a culture of discipleship <laughs> is something that's caught rather than taught. In other words, when when you begin to see your other brothers and sisters in Christ uh, having these types of discipling relationships, investing in the body, people take notice of that and they want to join in with that. So I I prefer to think that even though we teach that everyone should be uh, discipling and it's it's the call of Christ on our lives, uh, a culture of discipleship is caught. Yeah. And the people take ownership of it. it. It's kind of that crowd that crowd mindset. You see the crowd all moving together in one direction, and you want to follow it. You want to see what's going on. You want to be a part of it. 
And in a, in a church that practices a culture of discipleship, when you have a congregation faithfully moving um, in the direction of the gospel, then others who are on kind of the, the outset or, you know, at, at, the, at the edge of the, um, the corporate gathering, they want to be a part. They want to. They want to try. They want to move along too, and it becomes easier. Um, you know, when you when you have an entire congregation moving in unity together, it, it becomes a natural function of the congregation. I think that's something that really defines what a culture of discipleship is. It's a natural function. It's it's organic. It's not something that is um, programmed. It's not something that's forced. Um, it's not something that's necessarily even scheduled, though, of course, we take time out of our schedule to meet with others and to, um, obviously, we take time out of our schedule Sunday to gather together. But it's something that is as much a part of our lives as the meals that we eat, the jobs that we go to, um, the time we spend you know, entertaining ourselves with you know, football or TV or you know, social media or whatever, um, it's, it is ingrained in every facet of our lives, and it's a natural, occurring, organic part of our lives. So what are some struggles that might get in the way of a culture of discipleship? Busyness, programs within the life of the church. That's uh, interesting. A feeling. Go ahead. Let's stick with that. How, how can programs get in the way of a culture of discipleship? Well, if everything in the church is programmed the congregation oftentimes becomes more passive. In other words, they're they're following the lead of a specific leader, well, obviously, or following the lead of whoever's responsible for that particular program. Mm-hmm. And so it can become more of, um, I've, I've participated in this program, I've checked this off my list. And while it might even be good for that church member to be involved in that program, it's it's so passive that it doesn't allow the the member to take any sort of ownership and be active in the process of discipling. Yeah. Well, too, if you're if you're if you put it that way in terms of, you know, you're you're just following the leader, you're only able to go so far. You're only able to go as far as that that leader allows. You're not, you know, you're not lock, locking arms and moving towards Christ. You're playing Simon says with one guy in front of you. And you're only going to go as far as that guy is able to take you, um, versus when you when you are all turned facing the same direction, moving towards the gospel. Your your end goal is Christ, and you're following the the commands of Christ. And so, the way that we um, often fail to increase our kind of our culture of discipleship or our organic and natural tendency to uh, disciple others and to be discipled is by simply relying too much on individuals to tell us how we are supposed to, um, how we're supposed to live, how we're, how we're, what we're supposed to do to become a better Christian. What are the steps we're supposed to take rather than, um, rather than taking responsibility into our own, uh, personal disciple, discipleship, our own personally following Christ, as well as taking responsibility to continue to push those who are beside us, um, and not simply rely on, you know, Joe, the Bible study teacher who's been doing it for 20 years. I think a big big problem is people feel ill-equipped to disciple mm-hmm. somebody else. They, yeah. they view it as this overwhelming task or burden that yeah. they're not qualified 
to participate in the church in that way. Yep. There and tends just, to be a lot of over overcomplication of sure. what it what it means. And if it if the definition that we've already given is if it's just simply helping other people follow Christ, as Dever says, then it doesn't have to be this overcomplicated, super structured uh, activity. While while that might be great for some people, it doesn't have to be that. So it can it can be as simple as a 10-minute phone call where you're just encouraging a brother or sister as they mm-hmm. deal with a specific issue. It could just be a text message back and forth about what the Lord taught you in your time in the Word that morning or anything like that. Like, we, we overcomplicate it, and then when people feel overwhelmed and they feel like they're not qualified, they just don't do it. Yeah. What about um, what about laziness? Well, laziness certainly would be... <laughs> uh, something that would distract from discipling other people. We we just tend to think, well, somebody, somebody is responsible for making sure that they're discipled. The pastors, it's their job to make sure everybody's responsible, make sure that everybody is being discipled. Why should I have to do, why should I go out of my way to make sure that, you know, so-and-so is, is faithfully following Christ? That's what Taylor is paid to do. That's That's what Nick is supposed to do. Why should I make sure my student, my child is, uh, is in the word? Isn't that Trey's job? Yeah, it flies in the face of what Ephesians 4 tells us is the role of pastors, which is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. So, yes, parents, we can be guilty of outsourcing the discipleship of our children to the church or to a some other Christian nonprofit or a Christian parachurch organization. Or their their baseball coach. Or their baseball coach. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be actual spiritual things. We can outsource all sorts of discipleship and just say, I don't have the time to do this. I'm not equipped to do this. I'm too lazy to do this. But I'll just make sure that... Hopefully they're not saying, I'm too lazy to do this. Yeah, hopefully (laughs) if they realize that, they'll they'll kick it into gear. But um, yeah, I think just this idea that there are certain people who are qualified to disciple and there are others that are not. And Jesus doesn't distinguish it that way no. at all. Yeah. Every, every believer is called to, to do exactly. I mean, what we've said, follow Christ, help others, follow him as well. Um, any other uh, uh, challenges, anything else that might prevent that, that kind of culture of discipleship? We've talked about uh, programs, um, laziness. Uh, what about pride? Yeah. Pride is a big thing. Number one, that can somewhat tie into you're your ill-equipped, therefore you're embarrassed to like take that leap mm. and go out and begin discipling somebody. But also on the flip side, and this is more something that I probably have struggled with, is as a pastor, you know, I'm supposed to be the one that knows all the answers, right? Mm. And so I might be prone to think, I don't really need somebody pouring into me. It's my job to pour into others. And so that mentality is stems from pride. You're not letting others disciple you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah which is something that's been very difficult for me as a yeah. pastor uh, to to identify people who can pour into me and not be afraid to go to them and be like, hey, I need you to help me with this yeah. or pray with me or encourage me or just let's spend time in the Word together. That's not been easy. You know, yeah, and I think on the flip side of that too, we see pride affect people when they say, "I don't need the church. I'm not getting much out of what you know. I'm not getting much out of the corporate gathering. I'm not getting anything out of Sunday school. It's not for me. I can I can accomplish so much more on my own. I can grow so much deeper in my faith in just my private study. Why should I need 
um, that that type of dependency on the church. And so it's pride that is preventing them from being poured into the church, as well as pride that's leading them to not pour into the church because they are just saying, I'm going to go on on my own. I'm going to follow Jesus the best I can on my own. I can get so much further. I don't need the church holding me back. And, and it's sin. Um, and it's, it's pride that is, uh, that's, you know, leading people to, to believe that they can just, you know, go on this journey on their own without being a part of the, the corporate body that, um, Jesus calls us to invest in to be a part of. And I think that that view is so prevalent in the West, especially in the deep South, mm-hmm. that, you know, my relationship with Jesus is ultimately all that matters, and the church might be just this additional add-on mm-hmm. to my walk with the Lord, and that's just not biblical. It's just not a biblical understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and then a biblical understanding of the church's role in your life. So we we need to guard against that type of thinking and we need to just humble ourselves before uh, the body of Christ. And, you know, like we say on Sundays, oftentimes when I pray at the beginning of the service, I say, God, help us to remember that, you know, our gathering today is not about our personal fulfillment. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately about him getting the glory through the preaching and singing and ordinances and everything that we do. It's, it's, we don't leave the gathering either happy or sad based on our personal fulfillment, or at least we shouldn't. We oftentimes mm. do, but we shouldn't. What are some ways that, uh, just kind of shifting gears, what are some ways that we can improve our culture of discipleship? Because, you know, obviously, um, you know, we're, we're constantly being sanctified individually, but also the church corporately is constantly being made into the image of Christ. And so we're not necessarily there in any sense of the word until Christ returns. But in the meantime, while we are longing for Christ to return, how can the church improve in this, uh, this crucial area? Hospitality is a big one. We've talked about this before, but oftentimes the reasons why we don't have people into our homes is because of pride. Mm. Our, our house is not clean enough. Um, it's not big enough. It's not big enough. We're not, we don't have the type of house to host people in that way. I'm a terrible cook, you know, whatever it might <laughs> be. When in reality, the whole reason you're inviting someone into your home is to spend time with them, yeah. not to impress them with mm-hmm. uh, the cleanness of your house. Although I'm all for a clean house, but nevertheless, you know, that you don't want them to leave that night talking about how nice your house looked and how it smelled and how the food was delicious. Mm-hmm. Even though those are great, you want them to leave saying, I really enjoyed being in the company of mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the encouragement that came from our time together was, was worth it. So I think one um, example of that that's really been significant for, for Hannah and I since we've been here is um, recently we've had some t- uh, opportunity to spend some time with the Tollisons. And they are uh, a wonderfully hospitable family. You know, they'll, they will, you know, make sure you feel welcomed in their home, uh, but they're not going to, you know, go out of their way to really try to impress you with their house. At least it didn't come across that way when we were there. Um, but rather the reason that it felt like we were there was because we wanted to um, share life together. 
And, um, you know, it really, what really stuck with me was as we left, Tommy sent me a text message just saying, brother, we love you. We're glad, we were glad we were able to spend this uh, time with you. How can we pray for you and how, we, how can we better partner with you as parents? And that's the idea that we're, uh, we're being hospitable and letting people in our homes so that we can partner together in our efforts to follow Christ, whether that's in our parenting or in our evangelism or, you know, we're, we're grieving the loss of a loved one and we, we just need somebody to encourage us and spend time with us or whatever the case may be. We're opening up our homes and opening up our schedules in order to pour into one another to to better build one another up and equip one another to better follow Christ. And it goes back to that idea of it's caught, not taught. Like maybe you that night with the Tollisons, y'all didn't sit down and go through a, you know, 60-minute Bible study. Nope. Nor was that even <laughs> the plan. No. And yet, as you were leaving and Tommy sent you that message, that, that encouraged you mm-hmm. that evening. And it made you realize, hey, we're on this journey together trying to be faithful parents. And so that's really what it's about. We, we don't need to overcomplicate this. We don't need to think that even hospitality, inviting someone into your home, doesn't mean that you eat and then you gather around the kitchen table and you have a Bible study. That might be great, but it's not a requirement. Mm-hmm. And nor does that mean that's the only way discipleship can happen. Uh, what are some other ways we might be able to build that sort of culture of discipleship? What about the uh, corporate gathering? How does that work? Well, the corporate gathering obviously is very, very important. <laughs> uh, there's there's no more important thing that we can do than to gather with our brothers and sisters on Sunday to pray together, to sing together read scripture together, hear the word of God proclaimed. This Sunday, we're going to be celebrating baptism. Like what an opportunity Mm -hmm. for the entire congregation to be encouraged as these brothers and sisters share their testimony of how Christ has transformed them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So if nothing else, their testimony on Sunday is them sharing with the congregation how someone poured into their Mm -hmm. life. And so that's, that's discipleship. You know, the picture of baptism is first and foremost, you know, Jesus saving them dead to their sin, alive to Christ. But also it's a picture of somebody somewhere walked this journey along with this person Mm -hmm. to get them to that point. And so it is a picture of discipleship in motion. Yeah. I think when we think about the um, Sunday morning gathering, we have to realize that in the Christian you in the Christian life, it is entirely unique. All other spiritual disciplines can take many different forms or uh, happen at many different times in many different ways. You know, you might read your Bible early in the morning before your whole family is up. You might read it in the afternoon when your kids are running around the house crazy, but that's the only time you can, you know, get to yourself and, you know, let your children destroy the playroom or their bedrooms while, you know, if you're a mom at home taking care of them, while you just sit and read on the crowd on the couch, um, but uh, no matter how you do all of the other spiritual disciplines—reading your scripture, praying, um, uh, reflecting on the Word of God, or, or whatever it may be—there's only one corporate gathering. It only happens once a week, and it is it is not only a incredibly unique time for the Christian life; it is. An incredibly important time 
for the Christian life. It, there is no substitute for it. There is no al- alternative for it. I agree. I mean, if we always try to tell people, if there's only one thing that you could be involved in in the life of our church, it wouldn't be a committee. It wouldn't be the Wednesday night service. It wouldn't be the community group. It wouldn't be any other additional Bible study that you might have throughout the week. If there's only one way that you can faithfully participate in the life of our church for this particular season of your life, it would be the corporate gathering, and it wouldn't even be close. And so often, the corporate gathering has become the optional piece, and all these other things sometimes can take priority over it. And so we want to we want to push back against that. We want to go back to, to see what the scriptures teach about how important the gathering is and make that, you know, the ultimate goal of, you know, really what it means to be a faithful church member is just showing up to the gathering. Yeah, and I think we already had a whole podcast dedicated to the importance of the corporate gathering. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. Um, it, it was a, a wonderfully edifying conversation. What are some other things we can do to improve our culture of discipleship? Maybe one more, um, and then we'll call it for the conversation. Invest in relationships. Show up early. Stay late. Get to have conversations with people outside of the gathering. Be on the lookout for those people that you know need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside of them. So just, just being aware that uh, we need one another. And if you're going to invest in relationships, that means that there might be some other things in your life that have to be adjusted. Because if you're going to take that seriously, it will take time. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, you know, calendar, not not calendar in the sense of pencil it in, but we have to be organized and really manage our time well Mm -hmm. so that we can leave space for these types of relationships. Yeah. If we're going to prioritize people, if especially if we're going to pri- prioritize investing in people, we got to learn how to um, not prioritize other things that maybe took quite a bit of priority in our life. We have to uninvest in things that uh, aren't as eternally important in, in order to invest in the things that, that truly are. And so one another um, are truly important relationships that we need to, to be investing in. And so, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to, um, it doesn't necessarily have to uh, crunch or or uh, put a squeeze on our schedule. It could be simply as, you know, you're going to eat lunch today. <laughs> so in that hour that you're eating lunch, at least in at least include another brother or sister and uh, take that lunch hour with them so that you can invest in them. Um, but maybe maybe there are things in your life that you're spending too much time on. Maybe you're investing too much in um, in football or maybe you're investing too much in, um, travel ball or not just to not just to put everything on sports maybe you're investing too much in social media maybe you're investing too much in your job or or um, in your club or whatever it is that may be and it's it is preventing you from being able to truly invest in the body of Christ not just um, avoiding Sunday morning worship you know we've said that's that's the bare minimum that's expected and necessary for every believer but beyond that, if, if that's all you're able to do, then you have invested your time poorly elsewhere. And if you're going to follow Scripture's command, if you're going to be uh, discipled and a discipler as Christ has called you to be, 
then you got to uninvest in those things that are not eternally important and put your time, your energy, your effort into the people that God has put around you in order to build one another up. And that will come with a cost. And this is exactly what Jesus talks about. You know, following after him is going to be costly. And so even when we have to make adjustments that hurt, like we might have to give up something we love to do in order to be able to invest in relationships. Uh, Jesus didn't always promise us that it would be easy. So there is a cost to following him and being a faithful disciple. I love it. Thanks so much for coming, Taylor. Uh, We'll look forward to talking to you guys next time on Conversations in the Word.